This show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. This is Popular Technology Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host. And welcome, everyone. This is Popular Technology Radio, PopTech Radio, and I am Mike Etchard, hanging out for the day. In fact, I'm either the old new guy or the new old guy, depending on how you look at it. I've been around, uh, around this radio show off and on for a long time. In fact, we actually started... I think it was back in 2005 with what was then called Sound and Vision Radio, and I was the host of that show for about, my goodness, I'm trying, the, the years go by, but it seems like uh, it must have been around t- till 2013, I guess, and then we switched over to Pop Tech Radio, and then I was here for a while, then I took a break, and a couple of other hosts, and Jason Masters came aboard for a good long while, and I helped Jason for a while as kind of a co-host. And now I'm back, back in the pilot's chair. So it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be back hanging out, talking technology. And there is no better time for me to kind of come back around than right now. Because as you probably know, in just a couple of short days, it is going to be Black Friday. Black Friday, of course, the day after Thanksgiving. Well, and now it has actually bled into Thanksgiving. So many stores open up. I think JCPenney's is opening it up 3 o'clock on Thanksgiving Day and Walmart and Target at 6 p.m. So they've really kind of stretched Black Friday into Black Thursday. But Black Friday is one of the biggest days of the year sales-wise for things technology, for gadgets, for consumer electronics products. And of course, the deals, the Black Friday deals are already being, uh, you can go online and see what some of the deals are going to be. And and it's a it's a great time if you want to if you if you care to get in the lines and I'm I've never been a line guy I've never gotten up in the morning and why well, I'm not sure I have done it and and you do it once and you either like it or you hate it and it was not my thing so I don't do the lines anymore but I sure love to talk about it and see what some of the deals are and it's always a great time to come out and buy and of course uh, again it's, it's kind of starts on Thursday into Friday and then over the weekend and then we have Cyber Monday the day afterwards and another huge day in the world of technology and consumer electronics. So lots of deals to be had and lots of stuff to be, that are being offered at crazy blowout prices. Of course, a lot of the retailers, they come in and they basically do blowout deals to get you in the store to buy more stuff. So if you've got your eyes on a television, on an Xbox, on a PlayStation, it's a great time potentially to go out and buy some of those. And it's miraculous when you look at how low the prices are. And I'm, of course, uh, TVs are one of the big drivers in in Black Friday sales and in Cyber Monday sales, and I, and it got me thinking about the first time that plasma televisions were out there. So to give you an idea of what you can get a deal right now, I happen to see something at Walmart. They've got a it's a 65 inch TV set for 399 bucks, unbelievably cheap. That's a 4K set. I think it's got built-in Roku. Uh, I think it's an RCA, actually. They're not saying what it is, but I'm pretty sure I read somewhere else that it's an RCA TV. But it's a 65-inch TV for $400. And I remember being at CES back in about 97 or so when the first plasma TV sets were announced. And remember, the early plasma sets were about 40 inches, 40 to 42 inches. And to put it in perspective, a plasma set in 1997 would have set you back about a little over $14,000. So here we are. 
what a wonderful time to be a consumer to be buying this great technology. So it is crazy cheap. The 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 way we've improved manufacturing and the technology that has advanced to where we are, and you can buy a 4K set for about 400 bucks. It just doesn't get better than that. And even if you're not going to be in, in the in the crowds, it's a great time to be buying. But this is when all the retailers kind of make their money. We a lot of the products that are just coming to the stores now, we saw back in January at CES and. A lot of these things aren't even released until the fourth quarter. It is amazing to see a lot of the new products that have come into the marketplace just for this time of the year because this is where the retailers make their money back. It's, it's the biggest time of the year for them. But they're not making money like they used to. You know, There was a big profit margin on a $14,000 TV set. There isn't much on a $400 set, if any. And so even when you're paying about 700 bucks for kind of the top-of-the-line TVs these days, uh, there's not a lot of margin in there for the retailers. So it's not a great time to be a retailer, but they need you and they need us to come into the stores and buy all this stuff that is out on sale right now. So it's really a crazy time. And and when you see the crowds that go out and, and are attracted by these deals, you can uh, you understand why the retailers get excited. And then again, as we flip around on the following Monday, it's all online and crazy deals. So kind of start looking at and you'll see some of these things leaked even early, even before the day. So it is maybe one of the most exciting times in the world of consumer electronics and the technology that we all buy. And after we get through the holidays and then boom, almost the second week of January, we head out to the Consumer Electronics Show, which is in Las Vegas. It's the biggest trade show that they have out there, I believe. It's about 130, 140,000 people show up for that. And then we kind of start all over again and see what's going to be the new tech introduced in 2019. And then at the end of January, I head to the NAM Show, which is the music and technology show uh, in here in Anaheim in Southern California, where I am. So it is... A busy, busy season for tech, and it's maybe one of the most active seasons for sure during all the year, and it's fun to be around. It's fun to check it out. It never gets old. At least for me, it never gets old, and if you're listening in, I'm sure it never gets old for you, so let's uh, let's strap in. We're going to talk about Black Friday deals. We're going to have Jeff Morrison from The Wire Cutter on, and we're going to talk tech. So we're going to do a quick commercial business break, and then we come back, we've got all kinds of groovy stuff. So stick around. It's Mike Etchart. It is Popular Technology Radio, and we will be right back. On the track, even one hundredth of a second decides who wins and who loses. That's why Bridgestone uses advanced racing technology to create their fastest street legal replacement tire yet. The new Bridgestone Potenza RE71R. Engineered with an innovative hydro evacuation surface and unique tread compounds, the new Potenza RE71R is designed to give you maximum grip and ultimate cornering on or off the track. Bridgestone is changing the game in tire performance. back to Pop Tech Radio. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It is Pop Tech Radio, Mike Etchard. And oh, it's a treat to have my good friend Jeff Morrison. Come on, Jeff. He is the editor-at-large at The Wire Cutter, which is a New York Times company. He also writes for CNET and The New York Times. And been a friend and a, and a guy who's come on the show many, many times over the years. So, Jeff, how are you today? Thanks for coming. I am doing okay. Yeah, well, it is, as you know, it, we're, it's, we're, we're coming up on Black Friday and I'm going to guess oh, yes. you are not the guy that's there early in the morning getting stuff. 
Um, in every way possible, I am not that guy, yes. <laughs> Were you ever that guy? No, no, I was not. I, occasionally, I have gone during Black Friday to kind of see what the chaos looks like. Uh-huh. Um, but even that just, it wears on me. It does. Yeah. It, it's, it's not for everyone, but it's certainly for a lot of people because it still is working and lots and lots of people are still coming out to that. Does it still matter for retailers? Is it still as big as it was or is the shine kind of coming off of it? It is. And it's, it's kind of turned into a whole weekend. Uh, they kind of started doing this thing a number of years ago it's called Cyber Monday where the websites try to get in on it. And so it ends up being a huge shopping long weekend. The trick is, of course, that the deals aren't really what they seem. So the prices on Black Friday are certainly cheap, and you can get things that are normally expensive for a lot less. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they're necessarily a good value. The TV that's all of a sudden $100, well, it probably wasn't very good of a TV to begin with. Right. You know, Companies, if they're selling well enough and they're getting well-reviewed, they're not going to discount it just for the sake of discounting it. They're only going to discount the stuff that's not selling for whatever reason. Sure, sure, sure. Now, well, you know, in, in, in the segment before you jumped on, I was talking about kind of putting it in perspective. There was a Walmart deal. They've got a, an RCA TV. It's a, it's a 4K set. It's 65 inches. It's got a built-in Roku. They're going to sell it at three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I were both probably there in 97 or the late 90s at CES when those first plasma sets came out. And the, and plasma sets in those days, 40, 42 inches, north of $14,000. It is miraculous that we're talking about, even, no matter the quality, even if it's not a great TV, it's still considerably better than anything that, that those early plasmas were able to do. We're so spoiled by how inexpensive a lot of these devices are. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, you definitely outdate me on a few of these things. Right. I was not at that CES, but I was selling TVs at that point, and I was at Circuit City when they wheeled in that first, I think it was a 42-inch Fujitsu that we sold, and it was. It was fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. It looked horrendous. It was standard definition, um, but it was clear that was the future. And you're right uh, that this has been 20 years of these flat panel TVs and the sizes go up, the prices go down and it, it is remarkable. Um, and I try to keep in mind that there's, you know, for the type of person who just wants a good deal on a good TV, these Black Friday things probably aren't the best deal. But if someone's just like, look, I'm broke, I just want to, I just need to replace a TV or I want something big, then yeah, sure, why not? You know, it's a $300 TV for 65 inches. I mean, why not? I mean, I'm, I'm, how bad could it possibly look? And and that's the other side of it is that, you know, even cheap TVs these days still look pretty good compared to 10 years ago. So I'm certainly not recommending per se that someone goes out and buys one of these but at the same time if someone is going into it heads up that this probably isn't the best tv they can get but it's cheap you know even when you factor in what fourteen thousand dollars was in the late 90s you know that's about probably more like twenty thousand dollars at least money yeah today. but i assume people were buying them back in those days they were coming in yeah. and, and buying them and it's just stunning that people put that much money down um, I believe the first person I saw to buy one of those was um, Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. Right. He came into our circuit city. I, I don't know why he couldn't find a better place to buy it, but that's where <laughs> he came in. And I think he bought three of them. He certainly the had money, plenty of money. The money was rolling in. All right, we got to take a quick commercial break. We are talking tech with Jeff Morrison from The Wirecutter. It's Pop Tech Radio. We'll be right back. 
My dad is a proud doer, always building, repairing, or maintaining something. He relies on Craftsman tools, and I do the same. Today, Craftsman mechanics tools, metal storage, and lighting are available from your favorite retailers. But that's only the beginning. A full line of retooled and refined products are on the way. Find your favorite store at Craftsman.com and stay tuned for more big news from this trusted American brand. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Now, here's your host. And we're back. It's Pop Tech Radio. Mike Edshart hanging out for the day. In fact, I'm either the old new guy or the new old guy, depending on how you look at it. I've been around uh, around this radio show off and on for a long time, and I took a break, and, and now I'm back, back in the pilot's chair. So it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be back hanging out, talking technology and there is no better time for me to kind of come back around than right now because, as you probably know, in just a couple of short days, it is going to be Black Friday. Black Friday, of course, the day after Thanksgiving. Well, and now it has actually bled into Thanksgiving. And we're talking with Jeff Morrison, editor-at-large of The Wirecutter, also fiction writer with Undersea and – what's the second book, Jeff? Undersea, Undersea Atrophia. Atrophia, Atrophia, exactly, which can be purchased on Amazon. He's a multi-talented individual, and he's been around this business for a long time. In fact, as you mentioned, the old Circuit City chain, which uh, – was mm. that a West Coast chain or was that all across no, the country? that was uh, nationwide. Nationwide and a huge chain in the day and completely gone. And yep. They just, ran that into the ground hard. Yes, they did, sadly. Um, but and, – and, you know, we've been talking about these early plasma sets and what's out there now. And a lot of the companies, most of the companies that made plasma sets back in the day are also gone, as is, yeah. of course, plasma technology completely. But it leads me – so let's say this $400 set we've been talking about that's going to be at Walmart is, is regularly, I don't know, $550, let us say. Who's making money on that, Jeff? How are these companies – I mean, the margins have to be just razor thin – on a $500-plus-dollar television. Is anybody making money on that? Well, I mean, that, that is a good point. And and the, the margin on TVs, historically, has always been very small. And that's something that surprises a lot of people because they see the end price of, you know, for many years, these were multi-thousand-dollar products. Um, but the margin on these things was not that high. On the high-end sets, sure, like the top-of-the-line models, yeah, those those had a little bit more. But in general, no, these were these were not that many points on them. Um, and then the lower price ones, yeah, this is a fraction of a uh, you know of what it could be in a different uh, category. But for those products, it's looking like they're making massive what's called mother glass. So you have these, let's say, ten foot. I'm not sure the exact size now, but say this ten foot piece of glass that they're using to cut up into smaller pieces. And as the technology advances, the size of this mother glass grows and they can cut out larger and larger panels and make more and more of them for less and less money. That's where a lot of this size versus price comes in is that the mother glass might, you know, 20 years ago might have only been able to make one television. But now you can cut up and make four or five different TVs, maybe six uh, TVs out of each mother glass. So you're getting higher profitability 
and again, it's all kind of relative. It's not a ton of profit, but obviously it is. And, and the Chinese companies that are making a lot of these inexpensive TVs, uh, they figured it out and they know how to do it. Well, and it's it is interesting to see uh, also, you know, at, at the uh, if, again, going back in our time machine, roughly 20 years to the introduction of plasma sets, it was all Japanese companies. And it, it, the television business now is pretty much a business manufactured in China, isn't it? Largely, yeah, and especially in the low end. Um, I mean, the, what happens is these companies are kind of pop up and they buy a name that that uh, the Western um, consumer would recognize, like RCA, and they just pump these things out. And even some companies, Japanese companies, I don't, I'm not sure if the Korean companies are doing it. Um, they might be where they their low end TVs are being made by these some a lot of times the same companies all in China. And there's very little production in Japan and still a fair amount in Korea. But, yeah, largely it's it's Chinese stuff, which is, you know, I mean, that, that, a lot of 10 years ago, that was like, oh, no, Chinese stuff, it's all crap. But that's not true anymore. Most of the uh, great products that you can buy now are all well-made and in China. So it's it has rapidly changed even just in the last few years. Well, and it's interesting, you know, if, if you're old enough to remember, and I know you're not, but, but when I was a <laughs> kid – Things that were made in Japan were thought to be cheap and crappy. Yeah, and, exactly. And then, of course, the the Koreans came into the market in in the eighties, I suppose, at least in you know with automobiles mm -hmm. and stuff. And they stumbled, kind of just like the Japanese did, found their way, and and then they kind of took over from the from the Japanese. And then we saw in a much faster, accelerated time frame the rise of the Chinese company. Absolutely, and it's yeah. it's pretty amazing to see that how that has happened. Yeah, I, I did a, a long form article on kind of the history of CE for I think it was reviewed.com for a number of years ago. And and I talked about how that how the Jap it took the Japanese companies a few decades to get their footing and then all of a sudden they they dominated the market and everything good was made in Japan and the cheap stuff was made in Korea. And then the Korean companies kind of like, no, we we can make good stuff too, check it out. And I'm like, oh yeah, holy crap. And then they're making the best stuff and the Japanese companies kind of faltered a little bit. Um and now the Chinese companies are coming in doing the same. And each one of those steps took significantly less time than the one before it. So, you know, even in the early days when, when China started kind of dominating the market, a lot of people, myself included, said, yeah, but it's not going to take too long for them to be also making some of the best stuff out there. And here we are today. And on that note, we got to take a quick break. I'm talking with Jeff Morrison from The Wirecutter. We are talking tech. And it is just the weekend before Black Friday. So stay with us. We're going to be right back after these words. This is Popular Technology Radio, your source for the latest emerging tech and hot internet trends. Can't get enough? Listen to more episodes and check out our blog on poptechradio.com. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook at poptechradio. You can spend this fall hauling bags of leaves to the curb or hauling. Hurry in to your local Dodge dealership for great deals on Dodge Charger with 292 horsepower and 30 MPG highway. Dodge Challenger, the most affordable V8 in its class. And Dodge Durango. This fall, get great deals at your local Dodge dealership. EPA estimated MPG. Actual results may vary based on Ward's Middle Specialty Segment. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. 
This is Popular Technology Radio. This show is presented in part by Bridgestone. We're passionate about making tires you can count on to perform when it matters most. Now, here's your host. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart with Jeff Morrison from the Wirecutter, CNET, the New York Times. We're talking actually about the manufacturing of technology. And Jeff, you know, we were talking again in the last segment about how Japan uh, came in in the, in the 60s and 70s, into the 80s. The Koreans came in maybe late 80s into the 90s. And now we've got an industry dominated by Chinese manufacturing. You know, back when I kind of got in this business, a Sony brand television was what you aspired to. Sure. Are, are we done with kind of brand name awareness? Is It seems to be a thing of the past now. I think it largely is, but there's still names do carry a lot of weight. And uh, I think Sony still does, actually. I think a, a lot of people would still be like, want that Sony TV. Um, but then same with Samsung. And 20 years ago, that would have been amazing. Like, Wait, you want a Samsung TV? And now I think it'd be a question like, well, why wouldn't you want a Samsung TV? Uh, and LG is the same thing. I mean, LG, that's a lucky gold star from ages ago. And they make arguably the best television on the market right now. So, um, so I think at the top end of the market, the name still means something. But on the lower end, there's companies that people might not have heard of, might not be as popular, that are still making some fantastic products. And their maybe name doesn't matter as much. Maybe it does come down to that specific uh, TV or you know whatever the, the device might be. What I'm thinking of is certainly with the Japanese, there was name brand recognition, Panasonic and Pioneer and Sony, of course. As you mentioned, LG and Samsung with the Korean TVs. But now, at least in the in the Chinese branded one, and if you go on the wire cutter right now, I think one of the highly recommended televisions is from TCL. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it seems the Chinese brands they have acquired some of the American old company names, but I don't see the brand recognition in the Chinese products like we saw in the Korean and the Japanese products. Um, well, TCL is an interesting company in that regard because they're one of the few that has tried and I think fairly successfully created their own brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just buying some other, you know, like Westinghouse was for a few years a thing where, you know, that was a name that people recognized, but it w- had nothing to do with the company from 100 years ago. Um, so TCL, is, they, they branded one of the theaters in Hollywood and they've kind of tried to create this like, no, no, we're a real thing. And I think they've done a pretty good job because like you said, they, they, um, are making some excellent inexpensive televisions that we've picked on the wire cutter for a number of years. Um, and, and almost surprisingly because we, the first, their first TV was like, yeah, this is fine. And then they, but you could see that they were going somewhere with it. Like, yeah, they, they knew what they were doing. Like, yeah, but you know, the next generation is going to be good. And it has been. Uh, so that's, that is a, a kind of a rare occurrence where I think most people probably wouldn't be able to name three or four different, Chinese brands uh, for TVs that actually, you know, that is a brand, not just a renamed from something else. Yeah, it's it is interesting that that they have kind of gone down that path where most of the other Chinese companies have not. And but again, you know, how is is TCL going to be a company like let's take Samsung and LG where they're going to branch into appliances and and everything else, or is it going to be more or less kind of traditional? televisions and, and maybe related audio products. I'm not that familiar with the company, but I've certainly, we had them on the show, I think, uh, back in January, talking about televisions almost exclusively. But are they going to be that big, uh, you know, enveloping brand like 
Samsung and LG? It's a good question, and I, I don't know. But at the same time, there are so many opportunities for a company in China to branch out fairly easily um, with their neighbors, either figuratively or literally, that they could go across the street to somebody who's making Bluetooth speakers and say, hey, can we work with you on this? And then we'll put our name on your product and it sure go for it. Um, the speed at which Chinese companies can um, branch out in that fashion or create new products is kind of unprecedented because the all not only are all the pieces there, but the whole chain for creating these products from the parts and the materials and everything is all flowing through China. So they can, with you know, using a, a 3D printer pop through is like, hey, here's the design for our prototype. Yep, it works. Cool. Print it out. Get it working. Now we can manufacture it. Done. Um, all in less time than has ever been really required for something like that before. But now, as we've talked about, we've gone from, from Japan to Korea to China. Is there going to be another place after China? <laughs> yeah, what's what's China's China going to be? Right. Uh, that's, yeah. No, and, and I've definitely watched quite a few videos on YouTube that have interesting takes on on that. Um, already, we're seeing the price of labor in China rise to the point where truly cheap stuff isn't economically feasible to manufacture there anymore. And so, there's a lot of places in Southeast Asia that are making clothes, for example. China has made billions and billions and billions of dollars of investments in Africa to a lot of infrastructure investments with the idea that maybe that's where they're going to start manufacturing stuff in parts of Africa. So, and that is kind of the next logical step for a lot of a lot of the companies there, but at this point I think it's a little early to to definitively say maybe somebody smarter than me knows. It seems like it's, you know, as you mentioned, you know, as the standard of living rises in an area, you saw it in Japan, you saw it in Korea, and now you're going to see it in China. It becomes, as you said, you know, un unproductive or unfeasible for them to kind of manufacture those super low end things because the expectation of the working class is to make more money. And so yeah. it's good, um, but it, it's, it's kind of the cycle of all this. It, but you also spoke a little bit on, you know, the technology of manufacturing these days and, and how far we've come from Japan, from Korea to now China, like you said, it's all there. If you've never been to China and kind of got a sense of, you know, it's it's just entire areas, isn't it, of manufacturing, television, mm -hmm. whatever the product is, the rapidity with which they develop and crank stuff out is just stunning. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that was a, a common complaint with, say, Apple, that well, why doesn't Apple, when they're charging $1,000 for their phone, why don't they make that in the United States? And it's not so much the labor involved in putting these pieces together, because which is a fairly small part of this. Um, that could be done here, but the pieces for these things, all of that's going to China. And so to divert some of that, to get that to another area like the U.S. or wherever, all the pieces become more expensive. The whole thing becomes a lot more expensive. You know, it's all bulk. So, you know, if you're sending a billion of these little chips to China and you only want to siphon off a hundred million somewhere, um, all of those get a lot more expensive and the chain becomes a lot more challenging. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's complex. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to take a quick, quick break. We've got more when we come back. It's Pop Tech Radio. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? 
Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. And we are back, Mike Etchart, Pop Tech Radio, with Jeff Morrison from The Wirecutter and, of course, CNET, New York Times, talking about the manufacturing side of technology in China and the rapidness with which that uh, all of these things are being developed and prototyped and shipped and in marketplaces here in the United States. Um, Jeff, you were talking about the misconception of how easy it is to move manufacturing out of China. Um, because everything is there, everything is shipped there. Everything is is it's just that's where everything is, and how it would be a little awkward to, like you said, to kind of start manufacturing, let, let's say, an iPhone in the United States. There's a lot more behind the scenes that that most of us don't even think about. Yeah, I mean, there's there's got to be, you know, a million different pieces on any different product, and you know, it, what if a piece needs to change or they need a part for a part. You know, there are, there's so many levels to these things that because so much of this production is being done in China, all of those pieces are being sent there. And, um, it, it's just a lot easier and faster to get stuff done. Um, and I've spoken to companies that, that started manufacturing in China years ago, and they said that the quality of the work they could get there uh, was higher than they could get anywhere else in the world. And it was also cheaper uh, because a lot of this stuff is just being developed. Like It's become this manufacturing universe there where every different level is taken care of. You could easily, if you wanted to, to create a company making anything, you could go there there's going to be a company that'll help you design it, help, and then another company that'll help you build it, maybe the same company. If it isn't the same company, they're across the street from each other, or they know someone there. Or like, oh, yeah, yeah, my friend works at this company. He'll help you build it. Oh, and this company, they'll help you distribute it, and this company will help you do this. It's all right there. And uh, the cities, these cities are, are uh, built around the manufacturing or growing out. They're some of the largest cities in the world now uh, yeah. with you know tens of millions of people there. It's amazing. Truly amazing, and you know, and we are the beneficiaries of that. With you know, to kind of swing back around to the prices, the way things are manufactured now, it just the prices continue to drop, and the quality continues to improve. And right, it's it's an amazing time to be a consumer. We are quite spoiled to say the least. And now you, uh, you know, speaking of of manufacturing in China and and the quickness with which these things kind of turn around and improve, you've got a piece coming out on the wire cutter about three D cameras, correct? Uh, 360 cameras, yeah, and forgive me. right, which is a fairly new category. Uh, I, don't, I think most people don't really know about them, but they they have two lenses, you know, on each side of the camera, and they take a, a 360 degree sphere of everything around you. And well, they started to kind of as a, I guess they are still fairly like a novelty, but but they. They can you can show these images on Facebook, say, and you can see everything around, and they're neat. Um, but they've advanced so much that now you, they do very high resolution video, and you can either do a video 360 sphere of video, or you can select a portion of that sphere, just show that, and create a normal rectangular video out of just the, the most interesting portion of what you've 
what you've shot. So, um, so you don't need to frame anything while you're recording. You just record everything. And then later in the editing process, you're like, oh, well, my face was funny here. And oh, well, this person did this cool jump over here and so forth. And you create this very smooth panning, stabilized video that looks like a professional action cam, but is actually just this 360 camera you just kind of popped up on your shoulder. And one of the companies that has done a lot in that and has moved very rapidly to try to take over the market um, in, in with features and quality cameras, this company called Insta360. And they're based in Shenzhen, just north of Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And they're very rapidly able to add features and come out with new products. Uh, largely, I think, because of where they're based, that they they can talk to the companies that are making um, the sensors or the, they can say, hey, we want to do this design. Oh, yeah, here, you can do this one. Um, we can make that for you and so forth. Um, that they've come out with lots of cameras, and their current one is called the One X, and it's going to be the wire cutter pick. Uh, spoiler. Because they, they were able to take everything that people have been complaining about with 360 cameras, including myself, and say, okay, well, we can fix all that here. And they've come out with hardware that incorporates all of the features that we want on the hardware. And then on the software side, they've incorporated all the features that we that we want on the software side. Combine the two, like, yeah, solid, perfect camera. Uh, well, not perfect, but uh, <laughs> as close as we've, as we've gotten in this in this category. And that's only been in a couple of years that they've been able to kind of move that rapidly. So very, very interesting. So, Jeff, when you're talking, the speed with which the guys, these guys are, are turning these cameras around, compare that to the old days. How long would it have taken a camera manufacturer, let's say, 10 years ago to make those changes? Whew, I mean, uh, a while because it's figuring out how to make something work, how to make it a little bit better, testing it out, um, that – the year-on-year improvements that we're seeing now are significantly larger leaps. So it might have taken a couple of years for that for everyone to figure out. Oh well, maybe we can do it this way. Uh, and the, the the internet is helps that as well. That companies who want to make this these these leaps can look and say, oh well, here's what the consumers are complaining about. Here's what the press is complaining about, and just very easily compile a list. Like, oh yeah, we can fix that. We can fix that. We can fix that. There's a, a immediate feedback to these things that didn't exist 20 years ago. Your punch list shows up the next day after you release a product. So yeah. People are talking about it already. If you're paying attention. Yeah, we, we'll use these guys as an example. I mean, they sent out the camera about a week or two before it launched. And they were able to get to see the reviews in real time posting the day that it launched. And everyone had maybe the same comments or different comments or, or um, the general thoughts about this product. And they're like, oh, okay, well, now we know that for the next one. Or, oh, we can fix that in, in a firmware update. We'll do that next week. You know, um, all it's, it's very rapid. The times they are a change. And all right, on that note, we got to take a quick commercial break. Pop Tech Radio, we'll be right back. There are many words you could use to describe the new Kia Stinger GT. Stunning, stylish, sporty. The word breathtaking, however, isn't just an adjective. It's a warning. Because while the ability to go 0 to 60 in 4.7 seconds might take your breath away, going 60 to 0 with powerful Brembo brakes will help you catch it again. The 2018 Kia Stinger GT. Fueled by youth. 
Stinger GT rear-wheel drive using launch control with factory-equipped 19-inch wheels. Results may vary. Do not attempt. Always drive safely. Welcome back to Pop Tech Radio. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart, we've come on the last segment. Hard to believe the show goes so fast. It's so fun. Jeff Morrison from The Wirecutter and, of course, CNET and The New York Times chatting with us about technology. And, Jeff, one of the things I want to wrap up with, you know, that we were talking about early in the show, these inexpensive TVs. Um, what is going on with OLED TVs? That is, that is the advanced technology in televisions. It was meant to be the next big thing. They're out there now. It seems to have kind of sputtered. Are we still excited about OLED? Well, I mean, it depends um, what you're looking for. I mean, in terms of picture quality, yeah, it's still the best going. Uh, although with the high-end LCDs, they still can create an amazing image. But OLED is kind of that next level. The problem is, of course, it's only really made by LG. Sony has a model, um, but that's LG glass. So um, it's still made by LG. And the other biggest TV company out there, of course, Samsung, isn't going to pay LG for anything. And Samsung couldn't get their version of OLED working. And LG is the only company that's been able to do it profitably and consistently. They have a a slightly different way of doing it that um, is kind of their secret sauce. It's not that secret, but it's, you know, different. So it's still going. And as far as I know, they are actually profitable, that they are making enough to – to keep going, which is a problem for Panasonic for a lot of years with plasma is that they weren't quite making enough money to, to justify it. So um, it's, it's still going. It's, it's not expanding as much because it's harder to do. And when they the only way to really do it seems to be the way LG does it. And if anyone else wants to do it, they're going to have to pay LG and either LG won't let them or they don't want to pay a competitor to do it. But for now, it doesn't seem to matter for them on the consumer side because the prices are incredible especially where they even were just a couple years ago that now you can get an oled for 1500 bucks 1800 bucks and this time of year uh, lg usually drops their prices significantly to kind of get rid of that year's model so this holiday season we'll probably see some pretty amazing deals on these beautiful televisions i find it surprising that samsung one of the i mean literally the probably powerhouse company in the world in terms of electronics was not able to get it together and really manufacture that yeah, it was surprising. I mean, they tried for a couple of years and and it's the you know kind of backwards because when people think of OLED on the mobile side, uh, Samsung makes the best looking um, phone screens, not only on their own, but also in the Pixel. Uh, I think on most of the or some of the Apple screens are Samsung built. I think that's changed maybe this year. But um, but yeah, on the small side, they can do it. But scaling that up to a full size television is with OLED very difficult and a, kind of a completely different manufacturing process. So their way of doing it, which involved three different colors of, of OLED material, they couldn't get the yield up enough to make it profitable and, and drop the prices. So they're working on other stuff. Um, they are a big proponent of quantum dot, which is um, this technology that allows for very bright, efficient, colorful images. And they're working on technologies that might be that quantum, you know, quantum dot along with maybe OLED, maybe something else uh, that could create an image that's similar to OLED. They're also working on uh, this thing called micro LED, which they showed off at CES this year, where 
um, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's you know millions of tiny little multicolored LEDs that um, they can turn off so that the contrast ratio is as good as OLED, but potentially it's brighter and more efficient and easier to manufacture, maybe. So it will be interesting to see if it's CES in January, whether or not they're able to make one of these micro LED TVs in a size and price that people would actually buy. But that is kind of one of the ways that this could go after OLED and after LCD. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. We'll see. We will see, yes. But it's when the bar is only at about 1500 bucks for a good size set, we are pretty lucky as consumers. <laughs> you know, we, we are, and, and it becomes difficult because how good can a TV be to cost five or $6,000 now? where you have these amazing looking televisions for 1500 bucks. And um, one of the ways that Samsung's doing that, of course, is they're pushing this 8K, which is insane and <laughs> stupid and no one should buy them. Um, but the TV itself, if you take the resolution out of it, it's a beautiful television. It's very bright, uh, very colorful, but ridiculously expensive. And there's no 8K content. There's no reason to buy one of these. People no. should not be worried about them. Uh, but they're there. That's one way to do it. That's one way to charge more is to offer something that people think they're they're going to need. And, you know, they don't. But uh, but it seems but, to work. It's always worked and it seems to continue to work from time to time. Yeah. Well, that's why we have 4K. So That's right. Exactly. All right. On that note, we got to wrap it up. So thanks. Jeff Morrison, thanks for joining. It's been a great, great chat with you and always great fun to have you on. All right. And thanks to Dave Milligan and Cody Castleberry for making the show behind the scenes. Totally appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on Pop Tech Radio. We'll be back next week. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you then. Where does the love for a car come from? If the car is a Subaru Legacy, the answer would be the symmetrical all-wheel drive. Power goes to all four wheels all the time for optimum grip. The Subaru Boxer engine's lower center of gravity makes the Subaru Legacy more responsive around corners and gets better fuel economy than front-wheel drive competitors. What you have then is a mid-size sedan with grip, handling, and enviable fuel economy. It's no wonder it turns people into people who love cars. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru.